beautiful time to be together right now. And uh, as Andrew mentioned before, I do recall last year as well, and it was no fun. So praise God, we're in the building and able to enjoy uh, this time of worship, uh, this time of celebrating the Incarnation. And uh, there's, there's a lot of things happening, and there's a lot of things not happening. And I just want you to, to be aware of that. First of all, uh, as has been our, our really tradition for many, many years, uh, we are not holding a Christmas Eve service. And you might think, well, why on earth would you not hold a Christmas Eve service? And many years ago, we just saw how hectic the pace was, how everyone was running around like crazy. And we wanted to give people, individuals, families a chance to be uh, together with neighbors with friends, and especially those who, uh, loved ones who have not yet come to Christ, and to just have time with them. And so we, we purpose not to do that, so that we can be freed up uh, to care for people, to scatter throughout uh, our neighborhoods and amongst our family to be a light for Christ. So that's, that's the reason why, and so uh, we're, we're grateful for that, and uh, we will be praying that all of us would take advantage of that opportunity uh, to share the good news of Jesus in those various places and contexts. Uh, but something else that is happening, and you can look around me, you can see there's a lot of gifts up here on the platform. And the reason for that is that you have gone out and purchased gifts on behalf of the incarcerated, uh, gifts for, for families and, and for, uh, for kids whose mom or dad are in jail right now. And so this is exciting. This is a thrill. Uh, we praise God for that, for your generosity in doing that. And uh, now there's the opportunity to deliver those. And that's happening this, right after service today. Uh, and if, by the way, I'm not sure if there's any more needs for drivers or deliverers, but there's always possibly a need for an alternate. So if you'd like to be a part of that, talk to Jenny Splendorio. She'll be happy to put you on the, on the reserve backup list. And that way we can make sure all these gifts get delivered. Uh, but it's exciting to see the Lord at work and to take advantage of this opportunity to be a blessing in this way. So uh, we're going to take time now to pray over these gifts and ask that God would use this day, this moment of outreach to do mighty things for him. So let's, let's pray right now. Lord, uh, we come to you. We want to thank you for the, the way in which uh, you've worked amongst and through your people. We thank you for Bay Area chaplains and their ongoing ministry to those who are incarcerated. We would pray now even that you would prepare the hearts of, of families and of kids to receive these gifts, Lord, as they are given in your name. We pray that uh, you know each story, you know each individual child, you know what they're feeling even right now in this moment with mom or dad not being there. And, uh, and, and, and whatever pain there is in that, whatever loneliness there is in that, we would ask that through this means of grace and love that they would see you as the gospel is declared, as the gospel is shared, as the gospel is demonstrated even now, pointing to Jesus, uh, the 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 one who saves, the one who comes to rescue. We pray that each child would turn to you and each family would know you. And uh, for those that deliver today, we pray you'd give them grace as they do so. Uh, we pray that there would just be a lot of joy as we're able to share your love in this way. And we look to you to do mighty things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, a question. Through all the wild ways we are living right now and through the hectic pace let me ask you something. In the middle of craziness preparations, of Christmas preparations, do you in fact know that God loves you? Is that clear to you? And how do you really know? How can you really tell that God loves you? And I think, I think for many of us, it's hard because oftentimes our culture 
looks at love in a certain way and, and there's sort of this understanding of love that's so much more shallow and one-dimensional than what the Bible describes as, as love. Uh, think about it. You know, think about the, the Christmas songs that you will typically hear out and about right now regarding love. I mean, the first one that probably comes to your mind, sadly, is going to be Santa Baby, okay? Or it's going to be Merry Christmas, darling, right? If you're back from the 70s and you remember the Carpenters back in the day or... or uh, or, of course, there's the baby, it's cold outside, right? I mean, that, those are the, the Christmas love songs. You're just kind of like, really? That's it? Uh, you, there, there's another one that's used by a guy. It says, we can feel it in our fingers and feel it in our toes. A guy named Billy Mack. It's like a, a spoof song. Christmas is all around. We fall in love and we fall out of love is the way the lyrics kind of go with that one. But here we see instead, and today we're going to find here in the scriptures, that God's love for us is a very different kind of love. It's a love that's full. It's a love that's solid. It's a love more fulfilling than anything you can imagine. And in many ways, it totally goes against sort of the false advertising that comes about around this time of year. Um, it, it shows us there's, there's so much more. And so uh, we're going to be continuing through the, the book of Ruth today. And uh, we're, as we've been doing, if you've been with us, you know we, we kind of go through the narrative itself and let the narrative speak to us, and then we circle back uh, for principles to our lives. But if you've been with us, you'll recall that Elimelech and Naomi have left, left Bethlehem for the land of Moab because there was a famine. So Bethlehem literally meaning the, the house of bread, and ironically, there's no food. And so as they're away in the land of Moab, Elimelech dies, and... Uh, the two sons, uh, their two sons, uh, Malhan and Chilion, marry two Moabite women. And then sadly, the two sons die. So we find ourselves looking at three widows in a time when it's very dangerous to be a widow. There's no way, way of providing for yourself. And, and Naomi uh, returns to, Jerus to Jerusalem. She comes back to Bethlehem, actually. And she comes in and she... Um, you know, is about to leave, but she tells the, the, the daughters-in-law, go back. Just go back to your people. Go back to your gods. You don't want to stay with me. You don't want to be with me. And, and whereas one of the daughters does leave and go back to her people, Ruth instead says, I am not going anywhere. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So she'd come into a relationship with Yahweh, the living God, and she refuses to leave Naomi. So Naomi, Naomi returns to Bethlehem and uh, it says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Bitterness is really the word there. Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I left full. I left Bethlehem full and I came back empty. And so we come to the next section and, and because of their destitute kind of predicament, there's a provision in the law whereby someone can go into a field and whoever owns that field, they're told to kind of leave the edges of the field unharvested of grain so that those who are in need can come through and glean. And so Ruth is out gleaning and she just so happens to be gleaning in a guy's field whose name is Boaz. And it just so happens that Boaz has a special relationship with Elimelech's family, with Naomi, and also with Ruth uh, because he's considered a close relative. And that's important because in that culture there was, there was something known as the Leverate Marriage Law which would say that when uh, someone died without children, it was the responsibility then of, of the, the, the brother of the dead husband to uh, take the wife 
uh, uh, the widow and to have a child with them for the purpose of carrying on the family line. So it had everything to do with property and, and the family line being carried on because to have the line die was a tragedy. And so God made a provision in the law for this and it happens to be that Boaz is a close relative. And so now there's hope. There's, wait a minute, could it be that of all the fields around Bethlehem, Ruth is exclaiming, I've come to this field and it just so happens that this Boaz guy is a close relative and, and he deals graciously and favorably with Ruth. He, he actually has her come and join for a meal. He tells his workers, hey, don't just leave the outside of the field unharvested. I want you to take harvested grain and accidentally drop it behind you so that she can kind of happen upon it and pick it up. You know, he's, he's caring for her in that way, very gracious. And so Ruth goes home with all of this food and tells Naomi and Naomi's going, Wait, it was whose field? Wait, it was Boaz? Huh. He's a close relative. And you can kind of see Naomi's wheels start turning. Like, huh. That's exciting. Well, some time passes, and eventually Naomi is going, Ruth, I love you. I care for you. I want you to have provision. And so I've got an idea. And if you were with us last week, we saw that in chapter 3. What was her idea? Well, I want you to go to the threshing floor at night where Boaz is going to be. And when he's laying there, just don't make yourself present. You've got to clean up, you know, wash up, put on your best clothes, and wait. And then when he lays down, I want you to go find out where he's laying down, uncover his feet as he's sleeping, and lay by his feet. And as we spent time last week, we saw that, you know, again, there's this, it's a risky plan. You have no idea how this guy's going to react. You know, he might wake up and go, ah, who are you? Get out of here, right? You know, intruder alert. What, what's going on, you know? Um, he, he might uh, be cruel or, you know, he, he could be gracious. It's hard, hard to say, meaning have some sort of sympathy towards her and, and see what would happen next. And, uh, and so uh, Ruth does that. And as it turns out, uh, when Boaz awakens and says, who are you? She very wisely says, I'm Ruth. And uh, as Boaz had pronounced a blessing of finding shelter under the wings of Yahweh, she says to him, I'm your, I'm your maidservant, and would you uh, put your wings or your cloak over me? As in a, a way of, of finding protection. And then she says, because you are a close relative. And so Boaz is going, oh, yeah, I am a close relative. That's true. And oh, yeah, that could work. And, uh, and so he says, lay there till morning. Uh, and then uh, in the morning, she, she, she just stays there. And then he gives her grain and sends her away. And he says, uh, there's one relative closer than me. If he redeems you, then wonderful. But if he won't redeem you, I will. So Ruth leaves early in the morning knowing something. This day, I'm going to be redeemed. Either way, I will be redeemed. What's it mean to redeem something? To buy it back. In that context, it's the property to be bought back and then in acquiring the property, there's also the widow to be taken in and cared for as an act of God's mercy through his people. And so Boaz now has in mind exactly what he's going to do. And we come to chapter 4. And uh, as the dawn rises, you can see something right, right away. Boaz means business. <laughs> uh, we, we go from the language of people sleeping to people being awake, uh, and we go to this new scene, a new setting, and we find ourselves at the gate of Bethlehem. 
So go ahead, if you would, and uh, follow along as I read Boaz, I'm sorry, read Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says this, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know For there is none other but you to redeem it, and I'm after you. So you can see what Boaz is doing here. And you've got to love how it's it's laying out, right? Uh, Because he goes to the gate. Look at verse 1. He goes to the gate. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. Uh, That word for behold is, again, this idea of, look, it just so happened... How about that? So you realize this. Last night, Boaz was talking with Ruth about this guy. Boaz goes to the gate where the, pla- where the place of you know, legal matters is taken care of and business is taken care of. And this guy just so happens to be walking by. How about that? What a coincidence. It's not. <laughs> and so he, he says uh, to this guy, hey, come over here and, and have a seat. And, and so, you know, that was, that was customary at the time. Hey, if there's a matter of business to be dealt with, that's where we deal with it. Come on over. And so he did. And then we find uh, that Boaz then looks and, and gathers 10 men of the elders. So you have 10 elders of the city. Uh, that, that's the idea of an official body of people who would make rulings on legal matters and, and financial transactions. So he's got the witnesses there. And then he just shares... Uh, you know, in a very honest way, his intent. He, he wants to redeem the land, uh, but this guy's first in line. So he's just saying, look, I'm, I'd like to redeem this property. Of course, Boaz does withhold one key detail. But he's doing that on purpose because he probably knows this guy. This guy's a cousin, most likely, and he knows uh, a little bit about how the guy will respond. So, he presents it. Look at the latter portion of verse 4. Here's the response from the man. He says, I will redeem it. (laughs) The guy's ready to go. The guy's ready to go. Uh, It's interesting about this guy, by the way, because we find something in, in this account that's very interesting. This close relative, he doesn't get a name. There's no name for him in the narrative. And if you look at the, the Hebrew text, they're really the, the idea is he's, he's Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> That's all he gets. Mr. So-and-so. Uh, you, you might say, Joe Schmo, this guy, whoever, comes along. And the, and the reason for it, we're going to find it, is in the next portion. Because in terms of the narrative story, he has one purpose. And it's not one whereby he's demonstrating uh, great integrity or everything else. And if anything, he's providing a contrast uh, to Boaz. But the, so he says here, I will redeem it. And then Boaz brings the next detail. 
verse 5. And Boaz says, well, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And the closest relative, the Mr. So-and-so, said, I can't redeem it. You're going, huh, what's going on here? Well, there's something important going on, and he describes it in verse 6. Because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You can have my right of redemption, for I can't redeem it. You can see the guy's like eager for the land. Like, yeah, land sounds great. Then Boaz brings up Ruth, and he's, you can kind of see the guy's eyebrows go up like, oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's yours. And you're going, why would a guy do that? Well, there's probably several reasons. Remember, this is an agrarian culture. An agrarian culture, they're working hard for food, for feeding people. And so there is going to be extra mouths to feed of Ruth and then any children that come from Ruth. In addition to that, he would then have to pass Naomi's land on to not his kids, but to those children. Then on top of that, it's possible that in his mind, there's another detail that's tough. This woman is a Moabite. And you'll recall from our previous times together the relationship of the Moabites to the Jewish people. Uh, a lot of challenges there. And so in his mind, he's going, you know what, this is, doesn't look like a good deal after all. I can't redeem it. I'm not going to endanger my own estate. Boaz, it's all yours. And so this is too costly for him. It's a too costly of a proposition for his bank balance, for his pride, for his reputation. Ultimately, this is not a price he's willing to pay. And so, as the readers were going, yes! Why? It's a relief. Phew, we're back to Boaz. So verse 7. Now this was the custom of the former times in Israel concerning the redemption of the exchange of land. To confirm any matter, a man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative, Mr. So-and-so, said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Now you kind of got to wonder about that custom, right? You're like, really? That was the custom? Like, is the guy going, man, I wish I wouldn't have worn those sandals today. Man, you know? Ah, oh, you know? Here it goes. Here's the sandal. It's like, my sandal or my inheritance? All right, here you go, man. Take the sandal. Uh, it comes back from the, 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 the Leverite law of, of marriage. So in, back in the Old Testament, when that law was given, and if the nearest relative refused the widow in terms of fulfilling his duty in that way, she could then take his sandal and essentially hit him with it. <laughs> so that was the idea. Like, oh, you're not going to do it? Give me your sandal. Whack! You know, so there. And uh, that, was, that was kind of the idea. So here, though, you can see how over time things change. And so eventually the custom, it kind of became the custom of most financial dealings. Okay, this is official. Here you go. Here's the sandal. You know, take it. And uh, it's kind of like the official way to seal the deal. Uh, to make it all legal. Uh, one commentator noted that in, in, in another way it might be symbolic, it, it could be that, that one person, by handing off the sandal, is, is foregoing his right to step on the land while the other was stepping into his shoes to take the land. So there's sort of a picture 
of what's happening with that. But whether that's the case or not, Boaz now can say perfectly legally, hey, I've acquired the land from Elimelech and I'm also bringing um, Ruth into my household. And so now we find that the elders are there, the people are there, they're serving as witnesses and now the, the, the kind of court proceeding goes on, beginning with verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up a name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So it's a celebration. Everyone's like, woohoo! Yay, Mr. So and so, he's gone. See ya. Boaz is there. And, uh, and, and everybody is rejoicing. Uh, and, and because what we're seeing here is we're seeing redemption take place. We're seeing the hopelessness of Naomi and Ruth completely reversed by the grace of this kinsman redeemer who, who lovingly is. is, is uh, going through this, certainly he's attracted to Ruth. This was not just a a legal deal. And from what we can tell, again, Old Testament narrative is so beautiful, it expects us to read between the lines. He is eager to marry her. He is attracted to her integrity. He's mentioned that before, earlier, that you are a woman of excellence. With the way Ruth speaks to Naomi when she gets home, you can see that Ruth wants this too. And uh, certainly it's to care for Naomi, as we mentioned last week. You know, she's, she's doing this to provide care for her family. But additionally, there seems to be more going on here. And so we're grateful for that. And that's something that we would see here as part of this, the celebration. Uh, it's interesting to go, why on earth would Tamar be brought up? If you recall, uh, Tamar was also widowed. And um, Judah's sons were supposed to perform the duty of the Leverite marriage with her. They would not. They refused Judah refused, so Tamar deceives Judah by posing as a prostitute, and, uh, and then later on, when she's accused of being an immoral woman, she actually has the cord of Judah's garment and says, well, the guy who did it gave me this, and Judah's like, uh, that'd be me. <laughs> and so at that point, it's like, whoa, this is the Leverite marriage thing, right, which everyone was refusing her. So now, is the comparison being made here? That's right. So be as shrewd and deceitful as Tamar. No, that's not the point. The point is, in the same way that Tamar gave birth to Perez and the line was continued, in that same way, may the line of Elimelech continue. Uh, as God built on uh, the, the benefit happening through the Leverite marriage to the people of Israel as a whole, may God so bless you and, and your household and ultimately the nation as a result of this. Uh, and then we find, uh, you know, sort of the, the culmination here in verse 13 and following. Look what it says. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. 
Then the woman said, the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, a son has been born in Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wow. At that point, the original hearers are going, huh? Wait, all of this was for that? Yeah. All that, it just so happens, this just so happened, and the tragedy and everything, and this working around into this beautiful story, but ultimately, it's not even just about that. It goes farther than that. It goes to the birth of David the king. Yes. And, uh, you know, let's face it. These days, you know, birth announcements are a big deal, right? You've got baby photos given. You've got celebrations, gender reveals, balloons, Facebook statuses. Um, but this announcement was one that just rocked those people's world because of what would come about as a result. Uh, you've got this amazing blessing given. And, and, and you know, notice what the women, the women have played a fascinating role through this whole thing. First of all, it's Ruth is the virtuous one. Ruth is the noble woman who really God uses to bring all of this wondrous salvation to pass. And her and Boaz make a wonderful team. They both are people of excellence, we find, in, in the narrative. Um, but you also find the women kind of form a chorus in the drama, so to speak. So when uh, Naomi returned to Jerusalem, it was the women who spoke to her and the word traveled around town regarding the bitterness of her life. And now we come full circle. And the women are making a different declaration about her. She went away full, came back empty, but now she's been made full again. Her fullness has been restored. And so the women say in verse 14, blessed is the Lord. Why? Because you've been given a redeemer. And you're going, yes, absolutely. And initially we might be thinking that, you know, the redeemer they're referring to is Boaz. Right? Didn't Boaz step in as the kinsman redeemer and, and, and take the family in? And that's absolutely true. But look very closely at verse 15. And notice what it says. May he also be a restorer of life and a sustainer to your old age. And you're like, yeah, it sounds like Boaz. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better than you than seven sons. Yep. But notice the end of verse 15. Who has given birth to him. Huh? They're talking about a redeemer. Yep. But at the end of verse 15, they're saying that she just gave birth to the Redeemer. Yep. Who'd she just give birth to? Obed. So who's the Redeemer they're referring to here? Obed, the baby. And that's kind of odd from our perspective. Like, wait a minute. Every time I've heard a Redeemer referred to, usually, through the Old Testament, that'd be an adult. But as curious as that seems... The reality is this. When Obed grows into a man, he's going to provide for Naomi in her old age. He's a redeemer. Uh, though the sons she lost can't fully be replaced, again, because of the, um, you know, the, the Leverite law, uh, we find that through the stipulations and responsibilities of the kinsman redeemer and the legality of the fact that this is a continuation of Elimelech's line, legally, Obed is her son, her child. 
Obed's also a redeemer in the sense that his birth is really what's marking in many ways the resurrection of Elimelech's line. It was dead. Now it's alive. There's hope. And most significantly, we find here, Obed's birth anticipates the birth of another king. You know, even as, as uh, there's all kinds of chaos, there's moral chaos in the land, there's religious chaos in the land, there's an anticipation and longing for a king. And the birth of this child is the beginning of and a precursor that points to a future ruler, David. And so we find the chapter concludes in this way. Look at verse 18 and following. Now the generations of Perez, to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram, Animadad, and to Animadad was born Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. Amazing. I know for us, you know, as Americans, we, we hear genealogies and we're kind of like, who cares, so what, you know. When you get into some of the parts of the Old Testament where they just list out genealogies, most of us as 21st century Americans go, yeah, and that's where I catch up on my Bible reading for the year, you know, flip, 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 because it's just sort of the names, these, these names. But to them, this was an astounding reality that God would faithfully keep the line and preserve it generation to generation to generation. And then most of all, that God was orchestrating all of these things to bring about King David. And what's fascinating too is even in the naming of Obed, as he's given that name, which means servant, he's looking forward to the time when another one would be born who would be called my servant, David, who would save his people Israel. And here's the thing, even more so, Obed's birth pointing to David and David being the precursor of an even greater king is something that stirs us, which is why, again, we've been contending this whole time, this is a Christmas book. It really is. Because from Obed to David, we find that the line doesn't end there, but it goes on through the centuries and eventually comes to the place of leading to the birth of the Messiah himself, Jesus. The birth that we celebrate in Christmas. And that's why Zacharias, who Andrew referred to him earlier, um, would prophesy. Once, his, once he was able to speak again, he would declare Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets of old. And and why does all that come to pass? Because he goes on to say, because of the tender mercy of our God with which sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. That's what happened with the birth of Jesus. And unless all the intricacies of this account take place, there is no Obed. No Obed, no David. No David, no Messiah King. No Messiah King, you and I, all of us, we are still dead in our sins. And yet, 
it just so happened that God did bring those things to pass. And by his providence, through century after century after century, he has made a way to provide salvation for all who will turn to him. And because of that, we want to look ahead now, move forward and, and see how this applies to our lives now. What, what do we find in this passage? And, and the first thing that we would see is this. Redemption only comes to the needy. You realize that Naomi and Ruth, we cannot exaggerate the, the desperate state that they found themselves in. Their trials were, were absolutely grueling. They were in real daily danger of being robbed or attacked or taken advantage of. They faced the hardships of, of likely starvation or, or withering away because of lack of water or shelter. But worse, the death of their family line. And Boaz makes this very, very clear at the, at the town gate when he negotiates. I mean, what, is, what does he say? The whole point of this is to raise up the line of Elimelech. So in the Old Testament, we find powerlessness is a key part of those requiring redemption. Weakness is a condition of redemption. You don't get redeemed unless you're in that place. And, and just like them, the reality is, that's us, isn't it? Do you understand how weak you are? Do you grasp how helpless you are before God? Do you sense the fact that, that, that you cannot save yourself? If so, you're in the right place. Because that's who Jesus came to save. Jesus says that the healthy don't need a physician. I came to save the sick. Those that cannot help themselves. And so know this, if that's where you find yourself today, then the redemption that's offered in Jesus is for you. We also find not only is redemption for the needy, but redemption is costly. It's always costly. Certainly we would see that from Mr. So-and-so's standpoint, right? I'm not doing that. I'm not buying that. It's going to cost me too much. What does Boaz do? I'm there. I will pay the price. And I know we, we, we understand the end of the story. We know what happened. But if you look at Boaz and the courage it took for him to do that and the sacrificial nature of that, that purchase of the land and then taking Ruth in, it would, it would shock us. Why? Well, think about this. Ruth was in a marriage for 10 years, no kids. In that culture, that's sort of like, well, why would you want to marry her? And she's a Moabite on top of that. But Boaz says, no, out of hesed, out of loving kindness. And certainly his, you know, this is not complete altruism, like he had nothing to gain from it. No, we've already talked about that. He was attracted to her character. He, he wanted to be with her. But nonetheless, it was a risk. And it cost him. And he eagerly took on that cost out of his loving kindness. And that is the same thing that God does with us. I think we often forget about the cost of our redemption as believers. If you're here today in Jesus, do you ever think about the cost of redemption? What Jesus paid? There's so many ways the Bible describes that. Think of, of Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man, Jesus is describing himself. He did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life 
as a ransom for many. Jesus paid his own life. The cost of redemption. And he did so willingly. He did so out of love. He did so out of, out of great hesed, out of great loving kindness for sinners who don't deserve it like me and you. We're told in the book of Corinthians, you were bought with a price, believers. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You were purchased with the price. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with, notice this, the riches of God's grace. When you look there at the context, the idea of God's grace and the riches, they're just riches that overflow, that God lavishes on the undeserving, on the helpless, on the weak. That's us. That's what God did in sending the Son. That's what Jesus did in offering himself as the price paid for our ransom, paid for our redemption. Peter describes it also when he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's the price that was paid. But it wasn't paid unwillingly. He paid it eagerly. Not because it wasn't costly, but because of the depths of his love. The sacrifice of Jesus means we were bought with a price. And as we celebrate Christmas and as we hand out gifts to one another and enjoy that celebration as we should, every gift we give I pray, reminds each of us that we receive, reminds each of us of the matchless, wondrous gift of Christ himself, the Redeemer. And that's what leads us to the next thing about redemption that we find here. Redemption comes by the kindness of the Redeemer. We just see that so clearly. Buying a field, marrying Ruth, Boaz acts with that element of selfishness, selflessness, excuse me, to benefit others. And that risk that he took on to care for her. And God redeems us with that same, again, loving kindness, that same generosity. We also find that redemption brings about family benefits from the Redeemer. Isn't that amazing? So when you see this idea of the kinsman redeemer is the term some translations will use. A close relative. There's a connection there that happens. And so as Naomi describes Boaz as our relative, she's saying, hey, there's hope here. And being brought into that family relationship through redemption brings many benefits. And in the same way, Christ is described in the Bible as the preeminent firstborn. And we are described as co-heirs with him. So if you're in Jesus, that means you've been redeemed, you've been purchased, and you've been brought into a family relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus. We receive from him an inheritance. 
An inheritance that we're told is not even really describable. We know this much. It doesn't decay. It doesn't fade. And it's secure. You know what else that familial kind of connection means? When we're redeemed, for all who are in Jesus, we enjoy a, a more intimate relationship with God. I mean, again, we think about the account we heard earlier of, of the, the angel coming um, and, and, and speaking to Zechariah and saying, hey, you're going to bear a son, and he didn't buy it. Remember what he was doing at that time? He was actually going into the temple to render service. Why? Because people couldn't go in there. I mean, one clue to Zechariah should have been, uh, hello, there's someone else in here with you. Like, who is that? Right? That should be like a, whoa. I mean, Gabe Reuben says, hey, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You're in the temple, man. I, I'm Gabriel. I'm the angel. I stand in God's presence. And because you won't believe what I say, you know, again, as Andrew said, congrats. You know, you're going to be quiet for a really long time. <laughs> you're winning the silent game, right? But um, as those who've been redeemed, we are brought into God's family and we enjoy an intimacy with God that those under the old covenant only dreamed of. If you're a believer in Jesus, you can come to God at any point in time in prayer. That's stunning that you can come and know him in an intimate way. His spirit actually indwells you. You've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. You've been brought into union with Christ. There's a connection that you have, a vibrant, true connection. And so you're not dealing with something where there's a holy place and it's inaccessible to you. And so when we think of redemption, we need to understand that. Finally, we find that when it comes to what it means to be full, fullness can only come through God's redemption. That's what Naomi discovered. She left to find in Moab what she was, felt like she was lacking. She came back from that trek more empty than ever. But when God's redemption came, she was made full again. So again, if you're with us now and you're just considering the truths about God and Jesus and you're looking at this thing maybe for the first time, what are the things that you're running after to fill yourself? And right now, let's face it, every, everything we see on TV or online or wherever is all saying, hey, if you get this, if you buy this, if you take this home and wrap it up for your you know, friend or, or spouse or whoever, then they're going to be full by it. You'll be made full by it. That's all that's being sold today. You name the ad. There's some way in which it's being conveyed that if you purchase this thing or do this thing, you will now finally have arrived. You will be full. But we find here, no, there's only one place for fullness. And it comes from God's redemption. So are you empty? How are you trying to fill yourself? When Christ as our Redeemer is really seen, we find not only the cost that he paid for our salvation, but we also see the fullness of the salvation supplied by him. And that's what brings us from Ruth to Matthew. Go ahead, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 1. And 
and we find very, very beautifully laid out the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Again, to them, the most exciting part possibly of the book of Matthew was right here. What? And look at what it says. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez. There he is. Zerah by Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was father of David, the king. And it all traces down until we get to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Micah the prophet declared it. The birth of Obed and the birth of this coming king. Same place, Bethlehem. It's all detailed. And so the offer to everyone here today is this. If you haven't yet come, receive the salvation offered to you by Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. Come to him today. Receive forgiveness of sin. Receive that intimate relationship with the God who made you. Recognize the cost that was laid out to purchase this redemption available to you. And as you do so, rejoice. Because this king who came to rescue and to redeem is the one who's coming back again very soon. And so as we think on these things, let's praise him. Let's give thanks. Because Christ the Redeemer has come. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would uh, bring these things clearer and clearer to us in our minds. We pray that um, those with us either online or today here gathered that have more questions that we would be able to talk more about these things. Most of all, Lord, that there would be many who would receive the gift by simply admitting that we're sinners and by receiving the gift of Christ's righteousness by trusting in you. And so we look to you to accomplish that. We give you thanks for this season. We praise you for the immense intricacy of your plan of salvation and how you work through even seemingly inconsequential circumstantial events to bring about glorious accomplishments of redemption. We thank you for the account of Ruth. And we praise you that our Redeemer is the one that has purchased us with his own blood. We thank you that you would go through such lengths to rescue us. And we thank you in the name of this risen one, Jesus. Amen.